0: What, uh, what 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 setting were you tweaking? I was tweaking. Tell me, about, tell me about your settings. I was tweaking a setting that would would allow us to record the actual episode. So that was that's uh-huh. the okay. that's an important setting to use good, to make good. sure that I that's like working. So you were saying that it's it's been it's been uh, clear there, which is unusual. I just had I I just had the dinner with uh, your friend and mine, uh, Matt Howie. Oh, what's Matt Howie doing down there in Texas? He went to visit, I guess see, he was hanging out with some friends. He works he works for Slack now. Yeah, I knew that. And uh and so I guess they had some kind of team meeting. I don't know. He wasn't very clear on that. And I didn't I didn't want to pry. I could tell it was personal. Well that's and, the thing uh, about
1: Slack, right? What are they up to? Yeah. What,
0: what are they doing in there? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. yeah. But he like was that. um it was good to see him. And and so you were talking about the weather, so it's it's gotten very, very quickly, very cold here in Austin. Very like it's in the thirties today, which is quite cold for Austin. Oh. And uh and so like like the day that he showed up it started pouring rain and uh then the next day super cold. And so, you know, he's he's up from I guess he's in Oregon somewhere. He's outside of uh outside of our outside of Portland. He lives in but where the spruce goose is. Yeah. He lives out that way. He lives in
1: like Gesham or
0: something. Something like he could walk to the Spruce Goose apparently and, uh, and doesn't, but he, he was standing out there. So so we finished dinner and we were standing outside and he was getting his uh, Lyft or Uber or whatever it is people do. And he wanted to continue the conversation. And I had just had a sweater on and like a light jacket. And I'm like, you know, that's, I'm not used to, I grew up in Philadelphia And I would have thought nothing at a 42 degree night. Nothing. That's nothing. That's summer. Sure. 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 But that's gone now. I can't do it anymore. I don't know if it's that I'm a little older. I don't know if it's that I've been living in, in hot climates and acclimated myself to that too much. But I I was standing out there and dude, I he's the same. He's like two days older than me. Our birthdays are like two days apart. And I was, I was starting to shiver Like a child, like a, like a baby that has been brought out of the bathtub and laid just on its blanket before being wiped down. I was shivering. I was like, I'm like, all right, dude, we'll have a good trip back. I got to go. He's like, what are you even cold for? It's not even cold. What is it? 42 degrees. I'm like, that's cold to me. Have a great trip back, bud. I was just, I had to fly. I had to get out of there and get into the truck with the seat heaters and the heated steering mm-hmm. wheel and oh, back, to, back, oh, to, back to safety. <laughs> 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 but what are you going to do?
1: It's cold. Yeah. That's nice that you saw Matt, you know, Matt Howie is, uh, is, uh, one of the, uh, he's one of the characters that has, has appeared over and over from the very beginning yeah. of, uh, of the, of the podcast universe. And, um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's been there. He's an OG, right? OG. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. He's like an yeah. old school blogger, South by Southwest, only eight people in the hall guy, you know, yeah, who's eight, taller, eight you hall. or him, you or him, who's taller?
1: You know, I don't know if Matt and I have ever stood next to each other and compared our heights. That's the first gonna, thing. If I
0: was a tall guy, that is all I would do would be walk around I comparing I'm, my height to other people.
1: I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm taller and I'm going to make Mac Howey challenge that. And, uh, and I'm going to guess he won't challenge it cause I'm taller. Are you six five? No. You want to reveal your height? Oh, well, I mean, I'm, uh, like, I'm on record. <laughs> I'm on record for many years, uh, explaining to people that my height has always been six foot three. Six three okay. But the, but the last couple of times I've gone to the doctor, well, There was a period where I went to the doctor and they said I was like six two and I contested it. Yeah. I said, your machines are wrong. And they said, it's not a machine. It's just a yardstick. (laughs) It's not wrong. (laughs) Right. And I said, no, well, your carpet is, (laughs) is pressed down or the, the walls have shifted. And they were like, well, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you're, you're 50. And so, um, You know, you might have lost an inch and I'm like, go right to hell. Well, the last time I went to the doctor and got my, uh, height measured, it was at a different, uh, different like height measurement stick, not the one and not the one that they were using before. And this stick also a doctor stick, not just some stick at the store also said I was six three. So, Uh, this is an ongoing problem for me. It's not something I'm going to take lying down or even standing up, uh, that I, that I have lost an inch in height due to like pre osteoporosis or something. I won't, I won't, I won't accept it. So I'm fighting, I'm fighting for, I'm fighting for that extra inch. It was the inch that I feel like six, two is the, you know, is like the, the top limit of normal sized guy and six, three just put me one inch over into, you know, like tall guy, right? Big size, big size person, six, two, you know, you're still a tall guy, but it's like, you're not, you're not over into big size. And if I'm coming back down to like Joel McHale height, where it's like, Oh, he's a handsome, well proportioned guy. Like that's fine and everything, but I need, I need a little bit more, time to prepare, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are plenty of people that say, you know, you'd you'd be blessed to be, uh, Joel McHale described as comparable to Joel McHale in any way, handsome, successful, funny guy. But, you know, I also feel like he's probably about six, two, not six, three. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Matt Howey's in that six, two range too. Yeah, it seems like any aspersions,
0: no, no, you and he, I would put in the same category of, of tall people. And there's, there's tall people who feel like they shouldn't be tall because their body doesn't match with the, like their body is thin and lanky, but they're just tall. And like, maybe they have like ridiculously long legs or something, Uh, but you're proportionately you're not just tall. Like say like I wouldn't like if someone said tell me about John if you know and and physically they're saying something, I wouldn't say John's tall. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I would say you're uh-huh. big. You're a big, yeah, big a big person because you have big shoulders and you have, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you're a you're a large human being. You're not you're not a just tall. Tall to me almost implies a lankiness. Or a uh, – almost a, a, a creepy skeleton-like appearance hmm. when you just say tall, mm-hmm. if that – you know what I'm saying? Well, the problem with the problem with being
1: big, describing me as big, is that there are a lot of people that are really big, like big. And I'm not big, like really big. I'm Would you be at sort the of sm- regular big. You're small big. I mean, compared to somebody who's big, yeah, I'm a small version of big. Like when I I go someplace with Ben Acker, who is six, eight and, um, you know, he sort of dwarfs me both in height and also, you know, he's very broad shouldered and, um, I'm embarrassed to, to talk about being big. You know, he has to pick his automobiles. (laughs) <laughs> based on whether or not he can get the seat far enough back.
0: Well, you would do, and, I'm sure. You have to pick that. You have to worry about your seats on the plane and the, the exit well, row I and do, all that stuff. I do, but
1: you know, I drive around in a Jetta. Now, I, when I sit down in the Jetta, I can't sit up straight. I have to lean over to the right, and it, it creates a <laughs> postural problem. Yeah. If I sit up straight, I cannot put the seat down and far back enough that my head isn't uncomfortably touching the ceiling. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Ben Acker could get into it, Jenna. And that's the difference between being big and being really big. So, but I think of myself as big because when I see myself with other people, I go, oh, wow, you're a lot bigger than those people, normal people. But then as soon as I start to say like, well, as a big person, I have to go in and out. Then there's always somebody that's like, you're not big. You're just like regular big. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I'm regular big. Regular big. Not like not like big, where you'd have to capitalize it, or where where really any special accommodations should be made, right it's just it becomes well, it's like that correspondent uh, I had not very long ago who said um, you know that they were that they were a uh, a man of shorter stature, and that although in every other respect of their lives they could not complain mm-hmm because things were going well and they had plenty of uh, opportunity in life and they enjoyed their life very much. But other people didn't quite appreciate how difficult it was for them as a man of, you know, five, four or smaller, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, I had a lot of sympathy for them, but then again, that's also within the realm of like normal, small, right. Normal, normal, amount of small yeah and then even using the word normal now we're talking about now now i have i have accidentally backed in to a realm of are you're triggering everyone uh, right now there is no normal uh, there is no normal and i didn't mean to even i didn't mean to walk into this field of flowers so why don't we just get out and (laughs) start over somewhere else where (laughs) no one is triggered right I was thinking, Dan, actually, that we should uh, that we should uh, answer some letters today in the normal episode. Oh, uh, we we, ne- we hardly ever do this, or maybe have never done it. But you know, the the bonus episode that we do, our Patreon episode, is is you know mostly us re- responding to listeners. Yeah, I enjoy it a lot. And and after the last couple, you've said like people should write in, and we've gotten some responses, I think some, some letters from people. And, and I figured we would just do it as a,
0: as a regular episode. Oh, we could definitely do that. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? I, mean, we're gonna, I, mean, I think it'd be great. Yeah, I mean, sure. uh, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't, ready, but uh, that's oh, fine. Oh, right, get ready really quick. Why don't we do two of them? Okay. Good idea. Good idea. Um, And uh, I haven't, re- I haven't really, vetted these out very much but do I too think that's... and then we'll,
1: we'll save the rest for the, for, uh, the other show
0: alright okay uh, dear Dan and John mm. yeah, I, li- I, like the, I like the beginning of this one this one has some, mm-hmm. yeah. some promise dear Dan and John you're both skilled at relaying your experiences so that others mm. can engage with them but do you ever feel like this skill interferes with your ability to experience things in a direct and genuine way as an example from my own life, I was recently at a flea market considering buying a Griswold cast iron pan and a Marantz cassette deck. Now, by the way, both nice things. I, I had um, as, a, as a, a kid growing up, my parents had a Marantz amplifier, tuner and turntable, which I inherited oh. in college. And they were wonderful. And I later sold them. And it was the stupidest oh. thing I've ever done. I okay. had a Morantz tuner for a long time,
1: um, but it's gone too. And I think the same thing. I got rid of it, gave it to a thrift store for some reason. Right. And, you know, Hodgman collects those Griswold pans. I have a
0: lot of- Hodgman was pants, here in, but... in Austin too. He was doing oh, some- Oh, did you see uh, him? Book? No, I couldn't, no. couldn't make it out. I had the kids on my own that evening and couldn't get out. Yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, Anyway, keep keep going. Oh, yeah, I guess we got an email to do. Um, But then I was hit with the realization that I was not personally drawn to any of this stuff. I was drawn to the idea that friends of mine would admire my having these things in my house. This sent me into a mental tailspin of doubting whether I actually like or care about anything which is Uh in italics independently of how it contributes to the image. I want others to have of me, including my education, my career, and my long-term romantic partner. This occurs on a smaller scale too. When I'm enjoying a magazine article, I'll realize I'm focusing on which friend I'll email it to or how I can holster it to say, I like that term, how I can holster it to say something interesting in conversation in the future. This leads me to worry that I am incapable of just reading a magazine article. I'd be hmm. very interested to hear what you think. Thanks for all you do. John. We would like to say thank you very much to Brooklinen. Linen makes your home beautiful. You know what? That is the ultimate form of what is uh, what is called self-care. You know, because you spend a third of your life in your sheets. Don't you want them to be insanely comfortable? Now listen, I'm gonna go off script and tell you how much I really like the Brooklyn and sheets that I have. They are amazing. It's stupid because you wouldn't even think that you would care that much about your sheets. You're like, they're sheets, right? How much of a difference can it make? I'm here to tell you it can make a huge difference. They're incredibly comfortable. They feel nice and cool when you get in them. But they look really good and they last, I don't know how many, I've probably had mine for like a year now. And here's the thing I will only use these sheets now. We have one set and I refuse to use any other sheets that we've had. We have like really nice sheets. These are even better, they're more comfortable, they look better. They feel better. I just like them better. And so every single week, I'm running them through the laundry, putting them back on the bed because I refuse to use the other three, four, five sets of sheets we have. I'm not even kidding. And i really love them. The quality is there and it's the little details. Okay, so like if you're like me and you're changing your sheets, how often do you get it wrong where you've got the short side and you're trying to stretch it to fit the long side and vice versa? You don't have to worry about this. You know why? Because they have a little tag. On the inside of the sheet, it's for people like me, it says long side. And on the other side, it says short side. Just something a little like that shows the kind of, like they know you're going to make your bed, right? It shows that they're thinking about this. They're trying to make your life easier. This company was founded back in 2014 by husband and wife. They had done some traveling. They'd gone to these great hotels and great places and said, these sheets are so much better and so much more comfortable. They're true luxury sheets, right? We want these in our house, but they found out that they were so expensive. 300% is how much the, uh, the luxury markup tax is. 300%. They said, we can do better. We're going to make these people who buy our sheets much more comfortable, and we're going to save the money in the process by selling direct to them. This company was uh, such a, a great idea. I'm so glad that they did it. And, uh, and you can, you can get these sheets too. Like I'm actually excited about sheets. I really do like them. And don't forget they do more than just sheets. They're a, they're a full scale, like bedding company. They've got towels. They've got so much stuff that you can get and you can mix and match all these different colors and shapes and, 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 and things like that. It doesn't matter. You don't have to just do white sheets. Like I do, you can get all kinds of sheets. It's up to you, mix them and match them, you know, make your uh, spouse happy. And uh, and so here's the deal. You're going to get 10% off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, ROADWORK, at brooklinen.com, B-R-O-O-K, l i n e n dot com, brooklinen.com. All their sheets, comforters, and towels have a lifetime warranty, but the only way that you're going to get 10% off and free shipping is to use that promo code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. So go check this out. You're not going to be unhappy. Brooklinen, The best sheets ever.
1: Hmm, That's interesting. So his question is, as people who are, um, who are, who make a living sort of telling stories about ourselves and recounting our experiences. Right. Sharing stuff. Yeah. Do we find that as we're walking through life, living our normal lives, are we thinking of things that happen to us? As, as vignettes or as anecdotes that we're going to bring to our shows. Like, Hey, if I go to,
0: if I go to this place and do this thing, that'll be great to talk about with John on Thursday. Right.
1: Exactly. Right. And then that would be intruding on our lived experience because we're busy thinking about it as content rather than just living it.
0: I think that's exactly what he's asking.
1: Right. And no, that doesn't happen to me, but I do know what's happening to you. And I do, I do think it's a, I do experience it as a, as a risk. And I, and it's, I think probably much more of a risk to people today than ever before. I, I forget that I do these shows. And when I arrive at, at my podcast desk, uh, my mind is always blank. So when I start to tell a story, I'm usually it just has, it just arrives in the forefront of my mind. There are times When I am, um, when I'll, when someone, usually it's something where I say, oh yeah, I'm going to jump out of a plane tomorrow. And someone says, wow, that's, you know, you're like (laughs) filling up the old podcast story bucket. And I'm always surprised. uh, I'm always surprised when somebody says that and I go, oh, I guess I probably will tell this story someday. But I, you know, I. I, it's not a motivator right? mm-hmm. but i do think about things like griswold pans and morant's stereos in the terms that our uh, letter writer is describing and particularly like uh, this house search that i've been on for the last year And the idea of this house being an opportunity to establish a new aesthetic I've, I've noticed and, and, uh, and really kind of bookmarked the fact that a lot of the time when I think about how I'm going to, when I was thinking about my new house and how I was going to live in it, I had a, I have one particular friend who has a really good personal aesthetic and I, was always gut checking my choices against the prospect of this friend coming over to the house for dinner.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now this friend is not somebody that I, uh, he's not like judgy Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or, um, or wicked. I, I admire him but his aesthetic is very much his own. It's not one I'm trying to imitate. Right. But I would picture myself in my new house having a cocktail party. And this friend was the, was always the one that I pictured looking around the living room approvingly. And when I would look at a place and wonder like, do I, what is it about this place? I, it's not like I would hear this friend's voice. I would just sort of find myself standing next to him, looking at the place and going over my own thoughts, not, not even talking to him about it, but you know, he was a, he was a constant presence. Right. Not because I was trying to impress him directly. But because I realized that he had become a kind of yardstick for me of someone that I felt was, uh, was uh, complete in his own sense of style and his own sort of communication and performance of his life as a, as a, um, you know, a kind of text, Mm -hmm. right? Like there, he doesn't have things that don't belong with him. They Mm. don't just belong to him. You know, they belong with him. And that's the thing I also aspire to. And a lot, I have a lot more varied, uh, sort of categories of things that do belong with me than he Mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he has a, a very concentrated aesthetic. He's like the Decemberists in the sense that the Decemberists artwork their band name, their on-stage costumes, their songs, their themes. It all goes together. And it's and it's a, a real tight package. Right? The Decembrists don't ever, you know, there's not, they haven't gone through a psychedelic phase. They don't, they don't have a metal album. You know, it's always really tight. And I'm much, much looser, much more varied. Like, you know, I have things from from all eras and, and styles. So, so like our correspondent, I did go through a phase where I was like, why am I thinking of this friend of mine every time? Because um, this is a close friend. I know they're going to be impressed or happy or, or supportive no matter what house I get or no matter how I decorate it. But I, but I, and I was self-conscious about it. Like, am I, am I performing for them in some weird way? Like why would I think that? But no, it just, I realized it was just a kind of, this friend was, was a, um, a stand in for a kind of like a, like a gut check that, that was a a component, I guess, of me discovering my own taste as my taste evolved. Hmm. Like it's it it's easy to say, well, if you have taste, it should just come out of you like some natural fountain. And if you at all are are altering your taste or refining it or questioning it, that it that you're inauthentic, that your taste should be this, you know, this this native animal or animal portion of you. But I think that's baloney. I think that whole, that whole line of thinking that things are either natural and authentic or they're manufactured and fake, I think that's just bullshit. I, that's mm. some, that's some generation X bullshit that, that is, it's really seductive to people that believe that there's a kind of purist way of living and that, that being purist is somehow better than being a combination of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm modifying my style quite, quite a bit right now and doing it in intentionally as a, as a way of trying to, trying to use style as a, as a, a, a method of changing the way I live because I understand style and it means something to me. And so, you know, just to eat better has proved to be very difficult. But if I were to combine eating better with a stylistic element, like a Griswold frying pan or a, you know, a a kind of cookware that, that both facilitates a a way of eating and also makes eating a more of a performance. Like those are things that I respond to. Right. So I'm guessing that the, person writing us is a little younger and in an Instagram uh reality mm-hmm. in a way that
0: yeah that- they didn't we do we do for for those who don't listen to the uh to the after show the bonus content they won't know but usually i like to ask people to provide their general age and and other things so we can put it into a Good. context like you're saying right now because Right. Name, is rank, this, and yeah. Is this, is this John at a 25 year old, John, is he a 30? Is he a 50? What if he's a 65 year old? We don't know. We no, don't no, know. We don't.
1: And I think a 65 year old would be too, uh, would be s- too scared to say something like this. You know, this feels <laughs> like a kind of confidence. Uh, or, I'm sorry. They're, they're sharing a confidence with us that feels much more like, You know, I'm in, I'm sort of in, in, uh, interrogating my, uh, you know, uh, my evolution as a person, like I'm stepping, uh, I'm trying to step up my game, but I'm wondering if it is authentic, if it belongs to me or if I'm just a poser and generally 60 year olds, I'm sure they're still afraid of being posers or called posers or feeling like posers. But by the time you're 60, you cannot let that on. You know, I don't think I hardly ever hear that from somebody old. Older. Yeah, yeah. But I still feel like it. I still feel like a free composer, um, because because I never settled on a a single identity, and it took me a long time to. That's not true. I always was just excited about what I was excited about, but but the the um the the people that I was friends with that started wearing chuck taylors when they were 14 mm-hmm. and still wear chuck taylors yeah they they have this purity of essence that uh, that um I couldn't live in that you know I couldn't wear chuck taylors
0: only for don't my whole that, life I did not have any support no, they don't. That's but also, the, I mean, I have, those whoop. are my deadlifting shoes and that's the only reason I wear those <laughs> is because you want to basically be as flat footed as possible when you're deadlifting. Your deadlifting shoes. Yeah, that's that. I mean, look, Google it. That's what everybody wears yeah. in deadlifting. Well, and you know, and
1: Stan Smith's were what all the emo kids were wearing. Right. But what Chuck Taylor say in my culture is that you're punk rock and I never was punk rock, so I never, you know, I've had plenty of Chuck Taylors over the years, but I wanted to wear some other shoes the next day, you know, but I admire it just as I've always admired those people that have been wearing the same leather jacket since
2: 1986.
1: Mm -hmm. But I had a friend the other day say like, oh, I was watching this TV show and there was a bipolar character. And my first thought was, or the first thing I said to them was, did the bipolar character remind you of me? and they said well yes they did and i thought about that for a second like why would i ask that right <laughs> and it was because i wanted reassurance i wanted reassurance that that my I, and i and i and i seek this all the time that my bipolar diagnosis is not a fraud mm. somehow you know because Because mental illness is a thing that I, that I watched a lot of what I, that I felt like I watched a lot of people my age fake. I felt like there was a lot of misdiagnosis. I felt like there was a lot of medication being taken unnecessarily or, or badly prescribed. And it was why I resisted seeking help for, for decades. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be, well, I didn't want to be weak but also I didn't want to be um ingenuine I didn't want to take medicine for a thing that I should have had the that I should have been able to solve and so I'm still looking for even though you know I've been taking this medicine for a few years now it's really transformed yeah. my life I still am insecure does the, does the Hollywood rendition of a bipolar person remind you of me? If so, that will reassure me that I actually have a treatable condition.
2: Right.
0: We would like to thank the HMA VPN. This is a VPN that you can count on. What is a VPN? I, I know you're asking. You want to know, what is a VPN? You're Googling it. You don't have to Google it. I will be your Google I will tell you what a VPN is. It is a virtual private network. And what does that mean? It means you can surf the web anonymously and securely from anywhere with no restrictions. Right? So behind the scenes, it's creating something called an encrypted tunnel. So all of the traffic from your computer goes to their secure VPN and it goes from you to them in a secure channel. So that means you could be sitting in a coffee shop and not have to worry that your password for your email account is uh, getting uh, hacked by a man in the middle attack or something. You could go be in sitting in the airport and send, you know, send an important message or email or maybe even do your banking if you had to do some banking and know that it's going through this secure channel. Like that's what it's designed for to make sure that everything is secure, but it also gives you the ability to be anonymous, and it also lets you get to any content from anywhere you go. I know people who travel overseas and they want to watch their favorite show on their streaming service, and it says, "Oh, you're in uh, London, you can't get that here because of you know some agreements or something." I know people that get around that with VPN. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Now. What, one of the things that makes HMA uh, really good is that they're the largest VPN service. They have the most server locations worldwide. They have over 190 countries. That means there's always a server nearby, and that means your content is going to be delivered to you faster. The closer you are to a server, the faster you will get that content. Makes sense, right? But even better than that, HMA does not log your IP address, so there's no way for anyone to know what you're doing online. So they've got a 256-bit AES encryption, makes your connection safe. You can connect five devices simultaneously, right? So you get your your phone, you get your laptop, you get your iPad, you get your watch, whatever. You can go all all through everything. And there's uh, working for Android, iOS, Windows, Mac, Linux, routers, everything you got to do. Tons of great features always being added. They even have something called a smart kill switch which turns the VPN automatically when you launch a sensitive app. It's very cool stuff. It's all built in. You can try it risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee by going to, and here's what HMA stands for, Hide My Ass. It's www.hidemyass.com offer dash five by five. When we were signing up with them, I said, uh, HMA, I want you to make, the most complicated uh, URL that you could come up with for our listeners. They said, we got your back, Dan, we're going to make it offer dash five B Y five. So that's what it is. Hidemyass.com slash offer dash five B Y five and uh, go there, get your 30 day uh, trial risk-free and support the show in the process. Thanks very much to HMA. I had, I had a, a question relating to this actually that occurred to me as I'm listening to you talk about it. Okay. So they say that like certain drugs like blast and fry out your, uh, is it dopamine or whatever the thing is that, that makes you feel good naturally. Like, L-dopa. yeah. Like we were talking about the other, the other week. Yeah. Now, is it possible that some of the like trippy drug experiences you had, like, put you in a situation where maybe you're more predisposed to having something like bipolar? Like, is it a result or, or is it the opposite of that, that you, you enjoyed drugs as much as you did for the time that you were doing them because you were already struggling with some kind of a bipolar situation?
1: I think I used alcohol primarily to deal with my bipolar and and what were sort of pre-indications of bipolar mm-hmm. when I was younger. Right. Um, it was alcohol was the primary uh, drug that I used to cope with those feelings. You know, marijuana is in its own category, I feel like you you use you use pot for a different reason and I think that I combined it with alcohol as a like double triple uh, triple layer cake
2: mm-hmm.
1: in in coping but but i, I I, I feel like marijuana was additive to that and I'm sure that you could not drink alcohol and smoke pot and still use it as a, as a major coping mechanism for a mental illness. And I know a lot of people I think that do do that, mm-hmm. but for me, alcohol was the primary. Now other drugs, psychedelics and white powder drugs and downers and all that stuff. Those were all, um, Again, like they were appendices to booze, which was the, which was the, the central organizing principle. I don't think that psychedelics had any
0: negative effect on me. Right. I've heard that.
1: Now I know a person and I may have talked about him before that had a, a, um, a psychological break as a, I think triggered by psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Now I, I, I think that he probably was, he was at that age where if you were going to experience schizophrenia, that it would, it would come alive. Then it would come on, but he was a genius A physicist or a physics major, I guess, but he had a, he had a quality. He was, you know, legendary as somebody that was just that, that sort of math and physics kind of superstar Mm -hmm. at the school, but also like a heavy tripper, a, uh, like the guy you would get acid from the guy that was making it himself, you know, (laughs) um, Uh, really, really like a heavy dude and somebody that I was friends with and, and admired. He was a year older than me. And, uh, and then one day he left school. Suddenly there wasn't any indication why just like gone. And later, several months later, I was down in California, uh, on some, you know, some trip I had, I had hopped on a freight train in Spokane and ridden it down the coast and then sort of hitchhiked my way down to San Francisco. And he was from Palo Alto and I was down at Palo Alto. I went to Stanford to visit somebody else, a different friend. And while I was there, I realized that, um, That Rob was from, from Palo Alto and I picked up the phone book and found his phone number and called the house and, um, he answered the phone and I said, Hey Rob, it's me, John Roderick. And he hung up (laughs) and I called back and said, you know, Rob, Hey, it's me. It's John hung up. So I called a third time and his mom answered. And I said, hi, my name's John. I'm a friend of Rob's from college. And she said, he really, uh, like, can you meet us? Basically, can you meet us in the parking lot? I said, I was at Stanford. She said, can you meet us at the parking lot of, you know, whatever building? I was like, yeah, I'll you know, be there in 15 minutes. And so she and he arrived in the parking lot in a car and, um, they got out and he recognized me and was excited to see me, but he was speaking gibberish. Really? Just, uh, you know, he would, I mean, not gibberish like blah, 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 but English words that were combined in ways that didn't convey meaning. And he was looking in my eyes and, you know, in a pleading way, uh, with a big smile on his face, uh, with a, with the kind of this, He was, he was showing a form of elation in his in his face and his manner, like hyper, hyper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but his eyes were, um, tragic. And his mother was tragic, and she stood there and was like, "Can you can you do anything? Can you, you know, like she was looking for me to say." something to him or understand what he was trying to say because I you know was a young person that maybe this was going to be some lightning bolt with him and I stood and tried to talk to him for a half an hour or so and I just couldn't get anything out of him and he he was really enthused he wanted me to understand something, but, um, he just couldn't make himself understood. And it, it was, uh, he was like in a fixed loop. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And how, and and how old were you when this happened? 20. Wow. 19, 20. He was probably, yeah, I was probably 19. He was probably 20. And at the end, You know, his, his mom was like, I mean, obviously just desperate and brokenhearted. And we stood there kind of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. And she was like, well, thanks for trying. And they bundled in the car and, and off they went. And, you know, and he and I gave each other a, a very friendly goodbye, but you know, I never heard of him again after that. And I have no way of knowing whether here we are 30 years later, whether he ever regained, um, any kind of like uh, cogent life. It would be awful to think that That he got stuck in a stuck in a brain loop. I mean, this was probably, three or four months after he, after he took his big trip. So maybe as time went on, there were, they found some kind of treatment or they found, uh, or he just rejoined, you know, re regained some, some toehold in the, in the world. But it, in contrast to what happened to Rob, which I do think was a kind of trigger of a thing that maybe he was, because he'd all, he was always intense, dude. Um, the even the bad trips I had on psychedelics, I always came back to the world and stood firmly on the ground and and were, was able to contextualize what had happened um, relative to the azimuth you know, right. It's, it, it, it's depressing to, um, yeah, it's a seriously. Yeah. To recall. And it, and it's, uh, it's one of those things that happened so long ago that, um, there are those things that, that, that happen in a person's life where you end up telling the story, not just to people, but to yourself, enough times that you—it's not just like those pictures in your baby book where you you start to convince yourself that you remember something when mm-hmm. really what you remember is looking at old looking pictures. Looking at the picture, right? But it's similar to that where you've thought about a thing enough times that you no longer fully trust that your recollection is accurate. Mm-hmm. Because how many times have I thought about that? parking lot encounter a lot of times. And each time thinking about it re cuts those grooves in your memory and in your brain until boy, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I would look if I were looking on that scene today, whether I would say, well, Rob was trying to say things and he, he managed to get some, He managed to communicate some, some thoughts in his, I mean, I don't, I just remember him saying the same few sentences over and over,
0: but, uh, you know, Lord love a duck, right? See, I, I just think that's, that kind of story is why I think a lot of people are not willing to try that kind of stuff because they're like, well, I don't like, I don't want that to happen. I never even, I never even heard that that was back in the college times when I had the opportunity to, to try LSD or, or mushrooms or something and didn't, I don't even remember hearing stories about that. Like that was completely unknown to me that something like that, you know, might happen whether, whether it's a one in a million chance or a one in a hundred chance, I don't know. Uh, it, but it, like, I wasn't even aware of that possibility.
1: If you think about like the story of Peter Green, the original guitarist of Fleetwood Mac or Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd or Brian Wilson, all three of those famous lead singers lost their way in the world. And it was, it was credited, I think in their, in the time Mm -hmm. to the fact that they were doing a ton of psychedelics and, suffered a a break, a psychic break. Now, in the case of Sid Barrett, he gradually became unintelligible uh, enough that he couldn't be in Pink Floyd. And honestly, Sid Barrett disappeared from the world. I mean, Sid Barrett is still alive, as far as I know. Um, oh, no, he died. Sid Barrett died in 2006, according to Uh, according to this. But, but never, he never regained his, his equilibrium enough that he came back to the world for a benefit concert or, you know, uh, some, some crazy reunion. I mean, Peter Green from Fleetwood Mac is still alive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, he was in, he was like a seminal artist. Somehow Brian Wilson, they've spackled him back together and they prop him up in front of his piano. And he, but by all accounts, you know, he sort of knows where he is and kind of is able to perform his songs. And every once in a while, just sort of standing up there on stage or sitting up there, just sort of drifts off into uh, where every musician I know that has seen Brian Wilson performed or been lucky enough to perform with him. Uh, you know, talks about it as though it's uh, tragic and unseemly, right? That right. he is being sort of uh, trotted around like that. But for those, so those are the people that I, that primarily you hear about as public figures who who had LSD experiences that took them away and took them away for good. And so when when this happened to Rob. I had at least that context that it is possible. Like what happened to Sid Barrett and is it LSD or was it that he was already on a path? Right. And if he had, if he had had a psychic break, would it have been so dramatic or would he have been, I mean, there are a lot of musicians that are, that are touch and go, but are still able to get their pants on and get, get out to the, get to the show, you know? Right. I, probably a lot of the people that – oh, and also like in the in the aftermath of the 60s, there were all kinds of guys walking the streets of Haight-Ashbury that had their – you know, that had leaves in their hair that were credited as acid casualties. So I think it – do you think it – Is that the term? Acid casualties? That's what I think we called them then. Interesting. Interesting. I don't think – you know, I don't – there are still – I'm sure there are still – acid casualties today, but it's not a thing that it's not like they're flooding the streets of San Francisco. There are other people flooding the streets of San Francisco now, but I never worried about it. There was one time on LSD where things got dark and I did worry, but I found a dog and the dog You've told me about the, this and, I, and the I, dog I
0: found me right. And you spent the evening with the dog walking around and it, it got, it was like your spirit guide.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that, um, that dog kept me out
0: of the dark I, place. I still think the dog was a hallucination. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe there, there was a dog for a few minutes, mm-hmm. but that, after the first few minutes, when it went back to its owner or went back where it came from, for you, it, it continued. The the dog stuck with me. Yeah. yeah or I,
1: maybe it was the somebody, uh, somebody appeared as a dog, right? Maybe it was, right. maybe it was te- <laughs> Tecumseh or something.
0: Right. You know, like I've never done any kind of hallucinogenic things like that. So I don't know if that's within the realm of reality or not. Like, is that a thing that happens? Like you see a person as a dog or you imagine that there's like, is that I only know, you know, from what you've told me or what I've read about or seen in a movie or something.
1: It's hard because again, like not only did that happen a long time ago, but I was high on drugs when it was happening. So my recollection of it, although it seems clear to me, I'm not sure I can, I can say for sure at the time I did not believe it was possible to hallucinate a dog. And I still do not believe it's possible to hallucinate a dog, but did I, have I, um, have I put two nights together in my memory where one night I saw a dog while I was tripping on acid and I spent some time with the dog. And then the next night I, uh, also was on acid and met a different dog. And now that both dogs feel like the same dog. No, I don't think so. I have a very Brian. clear I have a very clear memory of the geography of the night and the, and the arc of the trip.
0: And it wasn't your first time doing it either. So uh, it's not like you were uh, being taken overwhelmed by the experience or something,
1: but it was 30 years ago. And you know, I, my, I have relied on my memory my whole life as a, as an instrument that had a, a degree of precision to it, that it felt like other people's memories didn't. I um, I could, you know, I could very, very, very clearly recollect small details and and um, and and recollect them for years and years and years. But but those things in particular, that stuff that happened to me between the ages of sixteen and twenty six, when I was drinking and using drugs and living, um, uh, you know, living rough i uh, 30 35 years later i'm now starting to say i'm st- i'm starting to have to admit that um although those memories still feel very clear and i and i'm able to tell those stories the same way i've told them for many years i now feel like the the number of times i've told those stories are uh, those are superimposed over what happened, and I do now feel like part of my recollection of those times. Uh, the 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 my recollection is so colored by the by the experience of having thought of it over and over and and recounted those stories around a campfire, so that he, they're starting to feel like baby pictures to me.